Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland on this sunny Friday where again our city is hosting the NBA Finals. I'm Bob Littman, President of the City Club. I'm so glad to be here, seeing many of you here today, to hear from our friend and my friend John Pinney, Managing Partner of Corman, Jackson and Krantz. John has been digging into numbers about our regional economic situation and I know we're all very curious about what he has to say today. At the very first City Club Forum in 1912, the three mayors of Ohio's most significant cities shared the stage, Newton Becker of Cleveland, Thomas Hunt of Cincinnati, and Bran Whitlock of Toledo. They spoke about the challenges they faced and the efforts each was leading to address those challenges and to strengthen their communities. This question, what can we do to help our community work better has been at the heart of the City Club's programming, programming and our forum fits squarely in that tradition. Over the decades, many leaders have stepped onto the stage to offer their understanding of the issues we face and their proposed solutions. And our community has implemented, implemented many of those proposed solutions, sometime with great impact. Our speaker has written a pair of columns for Smart Business News, categorizing a series of troubling economic indicators about our region's performance and how it compares to places like Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. In the end, he calls for a regional conversation that tackles head-on the tough issues behind our economic performance. And I suspect that he'll talk about that and what happens once this conversation is started. Before I hand over the podium to John, let me tell you a few things about him. He's home homegrown talent, a product of John Carroll University and Cleveland Marshall College of Law. And he spent his early years growing up in the Youngstown area. He sits on a number of boards, including the Rock Hall and Destination Cleveland. John was an integral part of the team that won the 2016 uh, RNC, which was definitely one of uh, Cleveland's best uh, parties ever thrown. Since then, John has emerged as one of the city's young leaders with a passion to make us better each and every day. Ladies and gentlemen, members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming today's speaker, John Penny. First of all, uh, can you hear me? Good. Welcome. Boy, I stepped into something, didn't I? Um, I don't even know what to say, other than uh, I'm a little overwhelmed. I haven't slept much. I'm stressed, but it really means a lot that all of you are here. I want to thank all the amazing uh, civic leaders, the philanthropists, everybody who's reached out to me over the last several weeks for attending today, for your, your great insight, your kind words. Um, 
I also really want to thank the City Club. This is an amazing forum. It's an honor and a privilege to have this opportunity. I want to thank all of you for attending. Um, before I forget, I want to thank my wife and my kids who, uh, similar to the RNC, I go, go into this dark hole and start researching and I try to solve problems that I never come out. So thank you for your understanding. I want to thank my firm. Uh, you know, this is not an easy conversation to have and our firm has, uh, Corbin Jackson Krantz has, has dedicated itself for years and decades to, to making change in this community and I really appreciate the support. I really want to thank the 2018 class of Leadership Cleveland, uh, the bestest class ever. Yeah. For those of you on the radio, I am very much aware that bestest is not a word. Uh, it's just an inside joke. It's really an amazing group of people, a collage of leaders, 65 strong from all over the region. Marianne and Carla, it was an incredible year-long experience. If none of you have ever done Leadership Cleveland, I really recommend that you go through the process. Um, I'm standing here today with 65 strong behind me. It's, this is a really important issue to our class, and uh, I just want to thank so many of you for attending. I want to thank two people in particular, Beju Shaw and Charlie Stack. Uh, it's been pretty lonely up here. Right now I feel like I'm on a bit of an island. I was waiting for the cavalry to come and say, you know what, we agree with you, and uh, all we saw were articles about people's talking off the record. And, Beju, thank you for talking on the record, and Charlie, thank you, uh, thank you for the op-ed and being actually one of the first to speak about this important issue. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, it gives me a support to be up here. I also want to thank Joe Roman. I know he can't be here today, but I read his, his op-ed this morning and appreciate the constructive nature of that, of that response, if you will. As I told Joe on Monday when I went and met with him, these problems are bigger than any one organization. However, it's we're not going to make any real progress until the Greater Cleveland Partnership is prepared to engage in this conversation. Joe's op-ed uh, was a great start, and I just want to honestly thank him for doing that because I set out to start a conversation, and it's clearly started. Um, it's a tough conversation, and it's begun, so let's get on with it. We're getting our butts kicked. We're dead last or near the bottom in most economic metrics. Our population continues to decline at an alarming rate. Our economy has not evolved into an innovation economy quickly enough. We're still relying on heavy, or heavily on traditional manufacturing, which is subject to major disruption from automation and robotics, ironically enough, probably engineered in Pittsburgh of all places. Despite incredible efforts by so many amazing people who have tried to reverse decades of decline, we just can't seem to break through as a community. Mediocracy will not cut it. We still face big structural challenges that hold us back. Despite being in the longest period of economic expansion in the history of our country, we're still falling behind our competition. With the recession potentially looming, some economists say 2020, some more optimistic, some less, we may experience the carnage of 2009 and 10 when, I can tell you firsthand, I had a lot of businesses who were in receivership, bank default, and it was a painful time to be representing companies in Cleveland. It's time to disrupt ourselves. We need to level with ourselves, I'm going to try to help do that today, and I hope that other people carry on the conversation after today. But let me first start by telling you how I briefly got here and how I reached these conclusions. This is a long timeline. I'm going to move quickly because I don't have much time. I could go on for hours up here, as many of you know. Whoever get me started talking about this, I, I chew up your, your day. So in March of 2007, I applied for the bestest class ever, a 2018 class of Leadership Cleveland. In my application, I discussed the importance of uh, jobs growth and population or regional economy and the overall health of it. I not know much about these topics, but I knew that they were critical. 
And as a result, I think of what I put in that application, I landed on the Economic Development Planning Team. And I'll talk about that shortly. In June of 2017, I was approached by uh, Smart Business Magazine to write a column. We were coming off the high of the RNC. We were uh, experiencing a revitalized downtown. I really wanted to write a positive piece and to con continue the narrative of Cleveland's renaissance. As we took a closer look at the, at the metrics and the numbers, the picture wasn't as rosy as we first thought. So we delayed the article and we agreed to, to regroup, take a harder look at the numbers and wait for some new data to come out. September 2017, the RFP for the Amazon HQ2 was released. The madness to land HQ2 had a secondary effect. Bidding cities were compared head-to-head -head against their competition. Many metrics were thrown around in major national publications as well as the local papers and press. I wasn't involved in that bid, but the HQ process put many of these issues that I'm discussing today front and center. November 2017, continuing on, along with my leadership Cleveland class, I attended the economic development session at Highland Software. Highland is one of the amazing Cleveland stories. They were kind enough to host us. Their entire C-suite leadership attended a town hall meeting in which you discussed these issues. It was a really impressive day hearing from, from all the leadership and seeing the Highland facility, and it's just one of the great, great Cleveland stories. Our group, as part of the economic development planning session, chose an RFP Cleveland set, uh, theme. We set out to grade Northeast Ohio's economic development system and metrics in comparison to our competition since we were bidding for the uh, HQ2 at the time. And during the entire course of the day, and, and actually the planning leading up to that, I realized that there was really a collision course between two narratives. It's are we in a renaissance, or what is the real truth? What's the reality of the situation we're in as a region? And by the way, I was one of the many people who, who did the RNC circuit, along with so many other people, and I used the narrative renaissance. I, I thought at the time it, it really was with the situation. I still believe that that was one of the great shining moments of our city and our region. Uh, it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever been involved in. And, and for those of you who, uh, who don't know this, it's, I did it in tandem with, with David Gilbert. I did it in tandem with Joe Roman, the entire Greater Cleveland Partnership, and four amazing chairs who kept us, who kept us on a direct path. It was really an incredible experience. All right. November 2017, or I'm sorry, January 2017, my article, my first article in Smart Business Magazine appeared. Um, we decided to drop the Renaissance narrative and write an article based on the data that we had found. I headlined it, it's, it's a time for a tough conversation about economic development. I pointed out the disappointing economic indicators and how our region was lagging, lagging behind competition like Columbus. I was instantly overwhelmed by the response. Over 200 calls, emails, texts, letters from around the region, people I'd never met as far as Sandusky, everybody said this is a conversation that needs to occur. You know, I helped bring a convention to town, maybe a dozen people sent me an email. I wrote a one-page article in Smart Business, and um, <laughs> Fred, you must have like the greatest readership ever. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it went viral, I hate to use that phrase, but it really did. Uh, and you know, I really didn't understand why, but then I started to, to get calls from people, and, and the picture became clear. January 18, 2018, shortly after my article published, Amazon made its announcement of the 20 cities that had been selected for the next round of consideration for HQ2. Cleveland didn't make the cut, but among the cities that did are a geographic ring of our competitors. Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Indianapolis, all around Cleveland. I was not involved in the bid. I never seen it. 
as I mentioned. Um, I was frustrated that certain organizations, particularly Destination Cleveland, were not invited to be involved in it. I've expressed that frustration, but I could spend an hour on that topic. There's no need because I really believe that we lost that bid 10 years ago. We don't have the workforce, we don't have an innovation economy, and we don't have the growth that we needed to win it. Um, however, the results definitely added fuel to the fire and created a lot of the fervor that we're experiencing and feeling here today. Then in March of 2018, somebody forwarded me a, a copy of the Two Tomorrows Report, which was released by the Fund for Ec Our Economic Future. In many ways, I've, I felt like, and I've talked to Brad about this, I felt like I stole some of their thunder because the conclusions that I had reached at that point were some of the same conclusions that the fund reached. It was a powerful report. It had a, a really meaningful impact on me. And it made me realize that the RNC didn't fix all of our problems as a community. Um, Brad and I have had some very direct conversations. He's, he's really been gracious with his time. He's filled me in on so much of the history and the challenges that we faced and, and all, the all the attempts to fix some of these structural issues. Brad and the, and the fund have brought copies of the report if you want to grab one on your way out. Um, it's powerful and sobering. I suggest you read it. In April 2018, I submitted my second article to Smart Business. Even more concerned about our direction, I headlined it, it's time for an economic development summit in Cleveland. I challenged the re region to not just celebrate wins, but also take a look, a hard look at why we're falling behind. I pointed out that the lack of alignment, which I'll talk a lot about, is, is the reason or the fuel for why we're actually suffering from problems and falling behind. Then all of a sudden in April, uh, late April 2018, Business Insider released its rankings of the 40 biggest U.S. economies. There's a lot of people who disagree with these rankings. Well, you know, I don't. The ranking was based on unemployment rate, average weekly rates, job growth, uh, GDP per capita, and GDP growth rate. We came in dead last. We had the highest unemployment rate and the second slowest rate of job growth, according to Business Insider's rankings. Fast forward to May 7, 2018. My leadership Cleveland class took a class trip to Philadelphia to learn from their economic development success story. It was a really powerful three days in Philadelphia. It was a great trip. Philadelphia has transformed its economy and its, its downtown over the last 15 years and emerged as one of the fastest growing cities in our country. We heard from current and former top leaders within Philadelphia. And they used an operating mantra throughout their discussions when they were talking about their economic development ecosystem. It's something that really is powerful and it's stuck with me and stuck with a lot of the classmakers. The classmates, they said, we focus on and we have one role. It's an ecosystem, not an ego system. They repeated it several times. It was very powerful and it stuck with me. Same day, as Philadelphia's leaders are talking about an ecosystem and not an ego system, somebody emails me, a second person emails me, I get more texts that Forbes had just announced its Best Cities for Jobs article. They compiled figures on the country's 71 largest MSAs and they started ranking them according to job growth and momentum. Again, dead last. Cleveland came in 71st out of 71st. As a comparison in the Midwest to our competition in particular, Columbus came in 28th and Indianapolis came in 25th. It was ironic that I was sitting there listening about a city like Philadelphia, which had similar problems that we face today, 15, 20 years ago, and how it's emerged as one of the fastest growing cities with an ecosystem, not an ecosystem. And the Forbes article was emailed to me while we're sitting in Philadelphia. May 30th, two weeks later, Bloomberg published an article about how successful cities of tomorrow must be the homes of children today. 
The article stated, and I quote, genuinely successful cities need to do more than attract people. They need to keep them as they start to raise families. Simply put, the successful cities of tomorrow must be the homes to children today. Cleveland posted the largest declines in population of children according to the article. While all this is happening, I'm taking a hard look, and people at my firm and, otherwhere, and elsewhere are taking a hard look at the data, just to make sure that, that we have our facts straight, because certain people were challenging some of my conclusions based on the data. So we went deep. We actually analyzed just about everything we could find. And the amazing thing is there's no centralized place for this data. It's not published uh, in one place. You have to dig through a number of government websites. But we tried to pull it together. And since I'm standing in Cuyahoga County, I'm going to give you some data in particular about Cuyahoga County. Cuyahoga County suffered the third biggest drop in population among counties nationwide last year. It lost nearly 5,000 residents last year alone. That's a decrease of 2.5%. There was a decrease of 2.5% in population in Cuyahoga County from 2010 to 2017. In comparison, Columbus's regional population and Franklin County's population grew by 11% in that same period. So we asked ourselves, who's coming and who's going, and will the data tell us that? So we did an analysis. Across all age groups, we found that 28% more people are leaving Cuyahoga County than they are coming here. This is even more pronounced among 18 to 24-year-olds. 64% more are leaving than coming. In contrast, Franklin County has 10% uh, has more people entering than leaving. So we started to look at the housing starts and the values, and Albert, you'll appreciate this data because I think it supports your theory. Housing starts are significantly lower than in Columbus and Cincinnati. We had 3,227 here versus 8,892 in Columbus in 2017 alone. More than doubled our output. Same with building permits. This number was staggering. In 2016, the latest data we could find, we had 829 building permits in Cuyahoga County versus 5,770 in Franklin County. And Hamilton County exceeded us as well. The growth rate in those markets is significant. Let's look at jobs. Columbus 2020, the 11 county region, they just announced that they exceeded two years early their uh, goal to obtain 150,000 net new jobs over 10 years. They did it two years early. And they, in their report, they issued a, a press release, and, and we actually picked up on some of, their, um, some of their data. We want to actually do a comparison. Here's what they said. They added 18,750 jobs per year over the last eight years. That's 51 new jobs per day. Their population increased by 24,000 new residents per year, 65 new residents per day. So we did a comparison of that against Northeast Ohio's 18-county Jobs Ohio region, and here are the results. We added 3,150 new jobs per year over the last eight years, compared to 18,000 plus in the Columbus region. That's only nine jobs per day. Population, this was the most staggering figure. We experienced a loss of 6,763 residents per year. We lost 19 people per day. This is just a smattering of the data that we found, and I know people will say that you have to look at the MSA or you have to look at the region. We looked at it every possible way, and there's very, very little good data that we could see. There are, there are some shining stars, I will be honest with you. Um, and I don't want to sound completely negative, but the startup community is starting to merge here. Some things that Team Neo and, and Jumpstart are doing are impressive. But on a macro basis, I will tell you that the data is staggering. It's, we are losing. We are suffering from what I will call structural defects that continue to hold us back, and we have not been able to identify them. 
So I started, in addition to looking at the data, I began studying Northeast Ohio's economic development system. Just, I'm a layman, I am no expert. You should go through this exercise yourself. But I wanted to understand if I could identify the root cause for failure. This is what I do, and it came a little bit of an obsession, similar to the Republican convention. So I asked myself, what would an optimized economic development system look like? And I came up with six characteristics. You may come up with six or 10 or 20, but here are the characteristics I came up with. I said, number one, the system will be mapped. What does that mean? That means there's an index of organizations and initiatives so that you avoid duplication and you can leverage resources. So that was my first uh, criteria. The second was there's a culture of collaboration. I took this from Philadelphia. They said repeatedly, ecosystem, not ecosystem. And I wanted to understand if we had an ecosystem or if we had an ecosystem. Defined metrics would be another characteristic. We would understand how we're performing against a, a, an, an agreed upon set of defined metrics. For instance, GDP, job growth, income growth, and population, as well as perhaps other metrics. I'm no expert, but I just want to see if we had a, an agreed upon unified set of metrics. The next, is there data sharing across all the organizations and, and the government entities who are in this space? The last two, is there evidence of innovation? Are we applying, say, big data technology or techniques? Are we prepared for the future and implementing innovative technology in order to understand what's really happening in our region? Is there a regional data portal in which we aggregate and analyze all this data and publish it for everybody to react upon? And finally, was there a unified or is there a unified strategic plan that everybody agrees is the governing plan for either our region or our MSA or for the respective cities and counties? So those were the six characteristics. And I think one word came to mind that captured all these characteristics for me, and I called it alignment. It just, it, it captured everything. And so I kept asking myself this, are we aligned? And if we're not, is that the structural defect that is holding us back and prohibiting us from growing like these other competitive cities? So here are my conclusions. After studying the system, after looking at everything, after going through Leadership Cleveland, after meeting with over 100 civic leaders, including many of the CEOs who graciously gave me their time, many of the CEOs of all the leading economic development uh, entities. Here are my conclusions. We don't even actually have an ecosystem at this point. It's not even formed. It's not mapped. I heard rumors that there's maps floating around out there. I heard that McKenzie actually did a map and came up with 3,000 different entities that are in this space. I've never seen the McKenzie report. Maybe somebody has it. I would love to see a map. I can't find one. And if I can't find one after all the research I did, it doesn't exist. And why is that important? It's important because we don't know who's doing what and what resources are available to our clients, to our businesses, and to people who really want to use the system and help grow this economy. There's also no clear performance metrics that truly apply across the system. In fact, there's very few metrics even published. There's no real adopted strategic plan. I've heard about Rex, and I, I reviewed it. It was, it was led by Team Neo. I thought it was an excellent start, but it doesn't appear that it was ever adopted on a regional basis. Um, I'm not really even sure if it's currently implemented. I heard just yesterday about a new report or a new strategic plan called Vibrant NEO 2040. I've never even heard of it. I actually tried to read it last night. I just didn't have enough time. But the fact that I have never heard of it and never got a copy of it until yesterday when someone brought it to my attention shows you that there is just not alignment across the system. There's not buy-in and there's, there's no real agreement on what plan is governing our economic development system. The culture is not collaborative. 
There are disputes between some of the organizations, and yes, these things happen, but we need to fix them. My conclusion is that we have an ecosystem, not an ecosystem. In fact, we don't even have an ecosystem at this point. All of these organizations are good intentioned, but they're just not functioning as a system and as a group. I've heard from repeat, I heard repeatedly, I asked one CEO, I said, do you feel like you have a seat at the table? You know how he responded? He was incredulous. He looked at me, he said, table? He said, a seat? He said, there is no table. I've never had a seat because there's no table. There really is no alignment and it's not optimized. It's not an optimized system. So here's my call to action. We need to build an ecosystem, not an ecosystem. It's time for unprecedented, courageous leadership to emerge. We need to disrupt the current system and change it. Economic development has changed. The era of three or four CEOs making all the decisions is over. The systems, these economic development systems are now highly structured, very sophisticated. You look at the markets that we're competing against and they are well-oiled machines. I encourage all of you to start to study them. Look at what Columbus has done. They are aligned, they are organized, and they're kicking our butts. We need to involve countless organizations. We need to get more people at the table. And let me give you an example of how these systems have changed. 15 years ago, who would have thought that Metro Parks would be one of the critical components to an ecosystem? Today, I will say this, because you have a disruptor at the helm of that, Mr. Brian Zimmerman, who I think is an amazing leader, that system is now one of the leaders in the economic development game. They have made changes, they have implemented incredible strategies, and they are driving amazing projects. Look at, look at Edgewater. Look at how that transformed that area. You could see how important an organization like Metro Parks is to the ecosystem and economic development in general. Fifteen years ago, Metro Parks probably wasn't even in the conversation. That's why the system needs to be realigned. We need to put the whole system through a comprehensive alignment and vision process to form an ecosystem, not an ecosystem. We need to study other models, bring in some really smart people from out of town and try to ask them to help us figure this thing out. Not every system is going to be the same, but it's time that we recognize that we need help. We need to build an optimal model that's built truly on two concepts, collaboration and innovation. And after the, the process is complete, I think we need to hold a summit so that we could tell the community what the plan is. We should give it a name and we should get behind one plan. And if there's more than one plan, we should understand why there's more than one plan. But we need to get behind something. We need to understand what our vision is going forward. This effort should be inclusive with new innovative ideas and players. And the process starts with the leadership of all the leading economic development organizations coming together in an unprecedented way. That type of meeting has not occurred, as far as I could tell, in, in probably five or ten years. It's time for all of them to figure it out, get in a room, and let's start to build a plan. Since there's so many incredible leaders here today, I'm just going to call out a few and just encourage them to lead us because yeah, I should not be standing up here. Somebody else should be. I'm a lawyer. I'm a know-it-all lawyer in some people's eyes. I shouldn't be up here. <laughs> all right, but you know what? I'm also somewhat fearless and it is amazing to me that our community is not at a place where we can have an open conversation like this without people hiding and going off the record. This is an important conversation. It should not take one person standing up here alone. In fact, I'm looking for my panel. Where's the rest of my panel here? So I, 
I think that we really need to get to, the, get to a place where we're having an honest and open conversation about this because these are really important issues and a lot of people are affected by it. So I just I want to encourage a couple of people to, to really lean in and step out. I'm going to start with David Gilbert. Uh, David's probably one of my closest friends in the world um, and he's an amazing leader. It's time for David and so many of uh, his team to, to really uh, feel like they can be empowered to step out and lead us. David, all of us will run through a wall for you. You don't need permission anymore to lead. It's time to go. We need your help. Ray Leach, I've only just met you, but I can instantly tell you're a collaborator. People trust you and people will follow you. It's time to lead. Brian Zimmerman can't be here. He's a disruptor. I've already told him this. It's time for him to lead. Chris Renane. No one knows more about this area than you. Tell us how to fix the system. It's, it's time for you to speak. We'll all follow. Bill Kaler, you speak for the region. I know it's not your style, but it's time to speak and lead us. Steve McHale. Never thought you'd get thrown into this mix, didn't you? <laughs> I have no idea what Project Unify does. You've told me three times. I don't care, but I will say this. <laughs> I will say this, you can inject some innovation into a tired system. Please help us. We need you. Brad Whitehead, you were the most honest. You told me exactly what you were thinking. It was a very powerful meeting and I really appreciate our time together. You have seen so much over the years. Your report was amazing and it really is powerful. Don't let us make the same mistakes. Help us. Lead us. Will Friedman. Will, there's a seat at the table for you. You deserve it and you should lead us. It's, the conversation we had was powerful. It's time for all of these organizations and many, many more, some of whom I don't even know about, to lead us. New leaders in every area should emerge and step up. And more people should be standing on this stage. So how are we going to keep this conversation going? Well, this may seem a little unorthodox, but we got to keep it going. So I'm going to create a very constructive way to do that in coordination with the bestest class ever, the class of LC 2018. And while the details aren't final yet, we're going to issue a grand challenge to the entire community. Grand challenges are used to search for solutions to help critical social and economic issues all over the world. I think it's safe to say that this situation certainly warrants Cleveland's first grand challenge. LC 2018 will use the Grand Challenge process to inspire our leaders to move this region forward. We're looking for perhaps three or four other teams who are willing to step up and join the competition. Maybe it's Team Highland, throws some of your brain power into it. Maybe it's Team Cleveland Clinic, Team Progressive. How about another LC class to join us? We're going to challenge our leaders. We're going to inspire them. We're going to push them and push them and push them until we figure this out. We need to identify the root cause for failure. We want off these lists. It's time to get off the list. This is an amazing community. This is my home, your home. I am tired of hearing jokes about Cleveland. I love this town. I've dedicated everything I can to it. I want off these lists. We want leadership. It's time for either new leaders to emerge or for the existing leaders to lead. This is a great, great place. I cannot believe how much attention has been created by this discussion, but I'm hoping and praying that more people take the mantle, step up and speak, and then lead. 
we can figure this out. We've never done a process like this. Let's put the whole system through an alignment process. All the organizations should commit. I'm not the one doing it, but there are a lot of smart people who are going to step up and help do it and fix it. We have big issues that are affecting this community. It's time that, that we had an honest conversation about them and we fixed them. Before I conclude, I just want to say thank you all for being here. Um, I didn't say anything that controversial. I didn't call for resignations, uh, and I never intended to. Um, this is a really important topic. This has probably been one of the most challenging professional experiences in my life. I, like I said, I haven't slept much. Uh, people are calling me, telling me what to say and what not to say, and you know what? I spoke from the heart. I'm going to continue to speak from the heart, and I'm looking forward to more and more and more people speaking from the heart because all of us want one thing. We want this region, this city, to be an amazing place to live, to be thriving, to be growing, and I do not want to be on these lists anymore. That's my call to action. Thank you for coming today. I look forward to answering any of your questions. John, thanks so much for that open and honest conversation. And, and we need your leadership. We really do, even if you are a know-it-all attorney. <laughs> well, we're about to begin our audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everybody, City Club members, guests, students, or those that are joining us by, via our radio broadcast or webcast. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it to at the City Club. May we have our first question, please. Hi, John. Jennifer Thomas. Um, thanks for that presentation. I really admire your fearlessness and your honesty. Um, you mentioned structural problems, and I just wanted to observe that everyone you called out to lead was a white male. So <laughs> that is a structural problem. Can you comment on that? Thank you. Uh, first of all, I agree with you. Um, in fact, the entire list that I created are all white males. Um, that isn't something that, uh, that I actually had any role in, but I can tell you I agree 100% with you. That needs to change quickly. It needs to be an inclusive process. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's the best I could tell you. Nikki Jaworski, following up with Jennifer's question. Um, it was very troubling, actually, to hear that part of your speech. I was with you all the way until you only started listing white males. And the conversation really needs to be very intentional about diversity and inclusion and people of color as well. Yeah. And so what's your commitment, now that you've started this dialogue, to, to being fully inclusive of all of Cleveland? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great point. First of all, I will point out that those people who I called out are the current leaders of the leading economic development or organization. So to the extent it's real, you're going to make real change in that area, the respective boards of the organizations are going to have to make that change. Um, I did call out for an, a, a very inclusive process. That's actually one of the key components, and it is something that I stated and something I firmly believe in. So I, I agree 100% with you. It needs to be inclusive, and there needs to be a much larger table with a whole lot, many more seats. Uh, Tracy Nichols, uh, project management consultants and uh, former director of economic development for the city of Cleveland. Um, ditto on the inclusion piece, uh, but 
I also wanted to mention the fact that a lot of the numbers that you gave are symptoms and they're, they're the end result of some situations that we have in this community that put us down. And one of the things that bothers me more than anything is we are constantly compared to Columbus and Cincinnati and the numbers are, our numbers are less. And when companies are making decisions about where they want to grow and where they want to come, they look at workforce. It's the number one biggest thing. I think we all know that in this room. Our number for workforce is lower than both Cincinnati and Columbus. It's not because we don't have a workforce, because with our commuting patterns, we have plenty of workforce. Our problem is that our MSA is so small, it is smaller than Columbus and Cincinnati. As a matter of fact, we could very easily make a change that requires no political anything except a, a, just a little change in Congress. But other than that, we need to change our MSA and include the city of Akron, Akron's MSA, into Cleveland. We would then check your numbers, go through and rerun all your numbers. When you add those two together, our workforce number then goes up above. And I know all the people from Team Neil will tell you, we have lost so many times because that workforce number, you can't get them to look beyond that and say, no, look at our commuting pattern. We can get people from over here and over here to come to fulfill the jobs. So that should be on your list as one of the top things you look at. It's not that hard to do, and it will make a difference. So the, the, one, thing, the one thing I'll say in response to that is, that is part of the alignment process. If that really is a, a, a realistic concern, which I believe you, given I know you and I know your history and, and your incredible work, that's part of what we need to fix. If that is actually something that needs to be addressed, let me ask this, why hasn't the system fixed it yet? If you know it's an issue and, and you're out of the system now working at a, at a great place, why hasn't the system fixed it? I will also say this, we did look at the MSA. We then added back in all of the regions, uh, the counties within the larger region, and the data, yes, it changed, but did it markedly change? The answer is no. Did it mean that we went from being the bottom of the list to the top? Absolutely not. It was a marginal improvement. So I think the, the, the symptoms that we're referring to in the workforce issues are systematic across the entire region, not just the five-county MSA. Hi, John. Laura Steinbrink. Thank you so much for your comments today. I recall a day back, and I think it was roughly 2001, where a group of civic leaders were in Cleveland Bridge Builders um, charter class, and we had something called Power Day. And we did an exercise called Start, Stop, and Continue. And we made an inventory of things that should be stopped, an inventory of things we should start, and an inventory of things we should continue. And it was an amazing, amazing dialogue among the first class of quote-unquote the emerging leaders 17 years ago and the quote-unquote power structure 17 years ago. Unfortunately, what you said today reckons back to what was said in that room 17 years ago. And it hasn't changed. So I do want to challenge not only the white male situation, I want to challenge the assumption that it's the nonprofit organizations that should lead the change and not people like you who create jobs or all of the people at my table who own companies that create jobs every day. And how are we to participate in this conversation? Your thoughts? Um, well, first of all, I, I couldn't agree more and, and I'm up here. I'm, I'm the first speaking, along with a couple of others, 
And so, uh, and I'm going to continue speaking, but I agree with you. We, we need the corporate community to get behind this. And I'll be honest with you, I've been trying. I have called and called and called. This is, this is a controversial issue, and right now there's just not a lot of, uh, of initiative in the corporate community to dive into this. But that's why you have to just keep, keep the conversation going. That's why we need people like you to, to really carry the message, and, but I couldn't agree more. So. And also, we, we do have a, a lot of uh, structural issues at the government level that need addressed. And uh, that's part of the alignment process. It's not just the organizations or the private sector or the nonprofit sector. It involves civic and government. Um, I think a lot of people are here today because we're committed to improving our community and we're open to hearing your ideas to do so. Um, so I guess I would like to hear some more specific ideas for improvements because I don't feel like a summit and creating a plan or actual you know, suggestions for innovation and ideas and change. So uh, I had a great conversation with leadership at the state of Ohio. And that conversation focused on what I'll call more tactical moves, some of the strategies that, that you're probably looking for. And they quickly said to me, we don't want to talk about tactics when it comes to Northeast Ohio. We want to talk about fixing your culture. They said that you can't start talking tactics until you create a different culture, and that is the ecosystem versus the ecosystem. Um, with that said, uh, one thing I will tell you, I, unlike others, believe that, and here's a strategy for you, believe that population is very critical. I also do not believe that we need a whole lot of new organizations, but I'll give you one really specific strategy and tell you a quick story about it. So I was in Columbus at our firm open house there, and I ran into a, a really dynamic leader um, from Franklin County. And I asked her, I said, uh, what did Columbus do 10, 15 years ago in order to um, transition to a growth economy and to put it on the tra tra trajectory it's on now? And you know, without hesitation, she, she said something to me. She said, 15 years ago, we started focusing on retaining the highest possible percentage of all the college students passing through our system. And I said, well, how did you do that? And they said that they built a program around retaining them, internships, marketing, events, job placement, uh, targeting them, tracking them, and really encouraging them to stay and plant roots and have children. That was 15 years ago. So uh, Columbus's population is growing dramatically. So then when we were in Philly, Philly, their leadership were talking about Philly, uh, Campus Philly. 15 years ago, Mayor Rendell created a program that allowed Philly or that, that focused on retaining the same thing, the highest possible percentage of students passing through. They have 400,000 students passing through their, their university and college system, and they wanted to retain a, a high percentage. I think the percentages were somewhat unclear, but I think the data shows they're keeping around 40 to 50% of all the students passing through the system. Here's a, here's a very simple strategy that we should look at. First of all, let me tell you about Cleveland then. We don't have any organization that does this. In fact, I don't believe, and this is what other people have said, that there's any organization that wakes up every day focused on growing our population. I know that Global Cleveland does amazing work, but it does not, at this point, have the resources to try to grow our population on the scale that we need to. Nor do any of our universities have a, a process to share data with us to allow us to track and try to retain all of these students passing through our system. So here's a very basic strategy, one that I think we should explore immediately. It's, we have, to, we have what, 3,000 organizations and not one is doing this as far as I could tell. 
we need to create an organization or one of the existing organizations needs to take on this challenge of trying to convince as many students as possible passing through our system to stay here so that they plant roots and they have kids and we could hopefully someday reverse our population trend. It's really a basic thing and, and that's why I think the alignment process is so critical because those types of strategies and those types of tactics will come out of an alignment process because in addition to looking at what we're doing, we should be looking at other prototype models in other cities and what they're doing. And so the, the Campus Philly concept is, is brilliant. It's simple, it's brilliant. Mayor, Mayor Rendell is a brilliant guy. He put it into place long before we did. And Columbus is doing the same thing and I think it's something that we could easily do, but that requires all the universities and colleges to share data and to allow one organization to get those lists to, to run programs on campuses to keep these people here. That's alignment. We don't have that right now. It's not done on a global basis across our whole system. And I'll bet you we have 300, 350,000 students passing through all the regional universities and colleges. A great metric would be to have is what percentage are staying here? I don't know because the data doesn't exist. It'd be an amazing uh, data set to have. Thank you very much and yeah. uh, for a very riveting uh, speech today and I appreciate it. So one of the things that Cleveland has that Columbus and Cincinnati do not currently is a robust public transportation system. We're talking <laughs> about economic data, we're talking about health data, uh, we see that juxtaposition that you laid out between the Renaissance and the, the data indicators. Yeah. And I truly believe that accessibility to jobs uh, is critical to workforce development and community <coughs> development. So one of the things that I want to encourage you and to the people who are in this room at a very tangible, both short-term and long-term opportunity is to rally around the public transportation system that we have here and encourage that as a vehicle to drive economic growth. We see this in other cities um, like Boston, Washington DC, Chicago, people who are in big cities. Public transportation is an expectation. And with seniors who are living longer, they're driving less, taking public transit more, young people driving less, taking public transit more. I truly believe that's a vehicle by which to make change. So um, that's one of the things that I'd love to get your thoughts on are opportunities for people who may not think that they have a role to play in conversations like that. Where can they get involved and make that difference? Well, it's a great example of, of I hate to keep going back to it, but of, of alignment. It's, if that is critical to the region and to economic development, that should be an initiative that is discussed at a table that's inclusive and that has a lot of people at the table and it includes all the members of the ecosystem so that there's alignment and then unified support behind, I assume, additional funding is what you're referring to. Um, the table needs to be set for those types of discussions. And uh, I think with a, a full-blown alignment process and a mapping of the system and, and creating a new ecosystem, I think that's the right forum for it. So I couldn't agree more. Oh, hello. How you doing, John? Aaron. So, uh, so you and I have been talking about this a little bit, and I, I also am very passionate about this this topic. You know, I, as I've talked to you in the past, I've spent the last four years kind of engaging in uh, around workforce in this community because I, I I can see firsthand. I own employment agencies, so I see firsthand the skills gap that that uh, persists in our community and how that uh, forces a lag in, in economic development overall. So as I've gotten passionate about that and gotten involved, I see such misalignment, it's insane. As a business owner, I'm not 
well-versed on all this kind of stuff. So when I get involved in this, and I'm like, why is this so hard? And why are people, why is it an ego-centric uh, way of thinking rather than actually coming together and, collab and collaborate? I've been on multiple economic plan developments amongst a variety of different agencies. Oftentimes, I've seen not people... Not, organizations like even like Jumpstart not not included in, in something that I was involved with, and I and I reached out to them and say, you guys should get involved. So you know, getting alignment is really important. The other thing that I can't stress enough that I know you're you're trying to accomplish today is how important businesses need to get involved. I've been in some of these things where I am literally the only business there, um, and it's frustrating. And they and they say okay, so you have a whole bunch of nonprofits and 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 governmental and philanthropic organizations that are a part of this, but there's no business there. And, and that's really, we're the ones who need to be solving for this issue. One of the things that I, I, I really uh, gained hope from, I think Dan T. Moore a couple years ago, I, I worked with them to uh, work with the Ted Ginn Academy, which was a school, you know, a public school down in Cleveland that graduates over 90% of their kids. And at that time, they were just thinking about the only thing they had was kids going to college. And, uh, and there's a, this whole manufacturing community here that has meaningful, meaningful work for them. And, they, and these kids don't necessarily have to go to college. So he went on his own and worked with the community leaders to develop a program within that school so that these kids can have an opportunity as soon as they graduate high school to have meaningful employment. But that's business coming in and solving it. The other, the other last thing I'll say is, is around marketing. The lack of marketing around the, the services that do exist in this community is unbelievable. There are so there's so much money that's being put into solutions and services to support the the uh, ecosystem or the ecosystem as you call it, um, but no one knows about them and no one knows how to access them. I you know in a lot of the meetings that I'm a part of, I keep saying as a business owner, you guys are talking about stuff and I can't figure out how to simply get into it. And, and if you're going to overcomplicate how you provide solutions to me, I don't have time. So there's a lot of there, there's a lot of use that's not, there's a lot of uh, services that are not being utilized because of that. There are agencies that are out there right now that don't even have Facebook pages or Twitter pages. Or Twitter, they're not even marketing to their constituents in the right way. So I just wanted to share that. Thanks, Aaron. Hi, hi, John. Uh, I'm Akram Boutros. I'm a know-it-all physician. <laughs> no, you know, you're a disruptor. Yeah. So. So, uh, you know, I think um, I, I do have a comment and a question. I think you can, lots of people are going to question the data, the information, and everything yeah. else. And I would say to you, is anybody who actually wants to question the data can spend the day at Metro Health and meet the folks that we take care of and find out how completely out of the picture they are, how they are not a part of the economy, and how they so desperately want to be a part of the economy. So come on by, we'll invite you uh, uh, to, be, to be on board. I would also say to you is that, you know, culture is impor incredibly important and everybody who's asked me how has Metro Health transformed so quickly is we created an aligned culture around a big audacious idea. And that is exactly, I think, what you're, you're, you're hoping to happen today and, and that's, that is wonderful. So here's my question for you. How can I help you? Thank you. First of all, I just want to say something. Um, Leadership Cleveland, our class, we spent a day at your campus. And uh, I walked out of there and I said, I have not seen leadership like this. 
in a long time in Cleveland. And so I actually just want to congratulate you. I think what you are doing and integrating into that neighborhood and the way you're doing it is remarkable and uh, it's really inspirational. So how can you help? Number one, speak. Speak out and don't be afraid to do it. It's, this is a tough, awkward conversation that we need to have. And number two, keep leading like you are. I mean, the transformational uh, leadership that you've, that you've employed at, at Metro Health is unbelievable. And so, uh, but I guess if I could really enlist you, it's there needs to be a group of people who come together that really sign up and own this and drive it. And what I'm referring to is an alignment process. And it needs to be system-wide. It needs to have leaders, not a know-it-all lawyer. It needs to have uh, the corporate community behind it, the civic community, the hospital systems, and um, it needs to be inclusive, and it really needs to be effective, and it's, there's an urgent need for it. So thank you for your comments, and that's how you could help, help take leadership of this. So, and also, I do want to speak just briefly about the data. It's, if people want to challenge the data, here, I'll, I'll make the following point. So the Forbes article came out, we were dead last. Business Insider came out, we were dead last. There's other articles, okay, so fine. We could disagree with their metrics, but here's my point. If their data's wrong, then we have a problem. You know why? Because the only thing worse than being dead last is not actually being dead last and not doing anything about it. So <laughs> let me say the following. Yeah. Let me say the following. Tell me when I could sue Forbes and Business Insider because I'm ready to do it. So someone get me the results of their analysis of their analysis and I'll sue them. I'll gladly do it. That one I'll do for free. Jim Garrett, first of all, thank you, John, on behalf of the community. Thank you for stepping out. Uh, a question a little bit about the list again and some great comments were already made on inclusion with the list. and. Um, I guess I'll get back to your analogy of a table. Uh, the frustration, we, if, if we don't have a table, uh, how do you make sure throughout the region that when we go forward with this, we have one table and not four tables? For example, in Western Pennsylvania, there's one state university, meaningful state university. In Central Ohio, there's one meaningful state university. Just one of our many challenges, we have four state universities how do we have, we could go on with other situations. Yeah. How do we make sure we have one table and does the list that we already have heard very good comments on, does that list consider that we have someone in Akron and Canton and Youngstown at that table? Yeah, I, I think it absolutely needs to. There's this big debate about regionalism and there's so much, there's, there's varying views. It's some people believe that Cleveland should go it alone and that there should be some overlap and some coordination. Some people believe that our region is Akron, Canton, Cleveland, and we should unify and, and have a regional plan. You know, what I will say is I've said it before, I'm not an expert. Um, I think that is the debate that should occur during the alignment process, and there should be a collaborative, open, healthy discussion on that issue, and uh, the party should um, reach an agreement on it. I personally think that there really does need to be a regional plan I think that um, Team Neo's done some great work in this area, and you could pick that back up, but uh, it's going to take a lot to keep various factions from splintering off, and it's going to take incredible leadership. And, and at this point, um, you know, I would just take that much progress. And what I mean by that is it would be great if, if some of the parties started to say, we're ready to go into this process and signed up and started building a, a committee 
to oversee it and, and the community and the business community came and stepped up and said, we're going to make sure it's done right. And, um, you know, it's a challenging process, but it's going to take a lot of hard work to make sure that there's not 10 tables or two tables. It really needs to be one inclusive table, and I agree. Today at the City Club, we've been enjoying a forum with John Penny, manager, partner of Corman, Jackson, and Krantz. We thank all of you for being here, and that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Mr. Penny. Ladies and gentlemen, this forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.